Hey, good yes. afternoon. Hi, how are you doing today? Good. Welcome to some real shit podcasts. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure. Thank you for making time for me. Yes. So, um, since we didn't really get through the other one, you want to just tell everyone about yourself? Yes. So my name is Omar Ruiz. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as a business coach for therapists. Um, I am um, Puerto Rican. I live in Boston. I was born in Puerto Rico, but I was raised most of my life in Boston. And I went to, um, I graduated from Howard University in Washington, D.C. Um, with my degree in psychology. And then I went to University of Massachusetts, Boston for my master's in family therapy. Nice. So you like going to those uh, Puerto Rican day parades or the Puerto Rican parade. Do they have those out there? Yeah, they have they have it out in Boston. It's not I wouldn't say it's as big as the one in New York, um, mm -hmm. but they do have it. Um, back in the day, it used to be like in in like the neighborhoods within Boston, um, mm -hmm. they would have like a, a a a parade leading up to this uh, location called Franklin Park. But then they, for whatever reason, switched it, and now it's held like in like City Hall. Um, I would say either end of July, or beginning of August. Okay, yeah, I had the pleasure. I was living in New Jersey when I experienced my first one, and I was like, wow, this is this is big. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, so I had a couple questions for you just because of your um, profession. Uh, what made you decide to go into a relationship counseling? Um, well, I grew up in a household where um, unfortunately there was domestic violence. And um, I, uh, fortunately my family was able to get out of that situation. Um, that had influenced me to originally get into uh, into law, into looking into family law. Um, but then once I went to college at Howard, I took an intro to poli sci class and realized that um, studying law was very boring and it wasn't as entertaining. And so I ended up meeting with my advisor. Um, and, and I think at the time I was interested in taking a creative writing um, course, but they didn't have that as a major. So they said, why don't you try psychology? Um, and then so that you that way you can minor in uh, creative writing or minor in English to take the creative writing course. And uh, I took psychology and from there, that's when I realized, oh, this is interesting. Like this is piquing my interest. And it was an eight o'clock class it's always like the first class in the morning so like for it to be a very interesting course to make me want to get up at that early to take the course meant something and then from there I just kept it uh, kept going with that degree uh, right after college I worked for a year and um, I had people tell me like my first job out of college was um, uh, working for a program helping those who were receiving um, at the time welfare benefits, what they now call transitional assistance, helping them find jobs so they can get out of the assistance. 
and they would tell me, you know, oh, you're a good listener. Um, they like anybody who was on my caseload uh, really enjoyed working with me. And I decided, and I I went online. I still to this day can't find it, but I found a website off of Google uh, because I knew I needed to do something more with that degree. I just didn't know what else because that job, I didn't feel like it was my career. I just felt like it was a transitional job. Um, and then I found the site and it basically posed some questions and then gave you gave you like some answers. And those answers were different jobs that you can look into. And then that's when I found uh, family therapy. Mm-hmm. Um so that's, I, I applied, got into a couple of schools, but decided to stay in state this time in Boston and Massachusetts and went to UMass Boston. Um, and uh, the degree is master's in family therapy, but the license um, is marriage and family therapy. So it wasn't until I decided to open up a private practice when I started to get more exposure and working with couples. Um, but I think it's just due to the license itself. It's marriage and family therapy. So anybody who's looking for a counselor, they just look, they tend to look for like a marriage therapist. Um, and from there, um, as I got more exposure to couples, that's when I realized like, oh, this is like, this is interesting because I worked with kids for many years. I worked with parents um, and I worked with like just singular adults, but I found that couples or relationship counseling was very challenging to do because two people have very competing values when it comes to the issues that they present. Even if it's about, if they're arguing about dishes, I find that it's not about the dishes. It's about the sense of partnership or it's about the sense of being respected or valued and heard. And so I found that those arguments within a couple relationship were much more challenging for me. And I think for me, that pushed me to want to continue doing it because I felt like there was never one, This it's never been like, oh, I'm getting bored of this work because every single couple is different. Of course, some couples, some of their stories might be more riveting than others because of the complexity that they're bringing in um, or just essentially their personality. Um, but every single couple that I see has something um, that allows me to feel like, oh, I'm in need, they're in need of support and I believe I can support them. So that's long story short, that's how I got into it. Wow, that's awesome. Um, yeah, if I saw couples, I'd like run the other way when I <laughs> when I see people start arguing, I'm just like, just just mm. dump them already, just get over it. You know, like I, I honestly, I'm just like, this is probably the reason why I stay celibate because I'm like, I don't want to deal with it. I'll wait. You know, I don't have the patience for it right now. So, um, so I -hmm. applaud you for trying to step out there and help these lost causes. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm joking. (laughs) They're not really lost causes, but you know, (laughs) I applaud them for even going to counseling because I know a lot of people that, um, that won't even go to counseling they just be like no it's all right I think we've our relationship has reached its peak and they just just for whatever reason just stop but um so Mm -hmm. does being in the field make you a better partner um I would say it makes me 
I'm sorry. I didn't put you on the spot. I didn't even know if you had a relationship. I no. just had the questions and I was like, you. No, no, I appreciate it. Um, no, I would say it makes me, um, one, it takes, it, it makes me more aware of whenever I'm working with couples, um, I tend to, depending on the couple, I might hear things that makes me think about my own relationship. Um, and it makes me wonder, like, is that something I'm doing? Or is that something that I want to do more of? Um, so I would say, um, does it make me a better partner? I don't know, but it does make me a more aware partner. So I've become more aware of things that maybe I was not paying too much mind to. So like if I'm hearing from a couple talking about <clears throat> uh, the lack of intimacy or them not feeling heard or listened to, if it stuck out to me, I would bring it uh, to my partner and have a conversation with her to see if like, is that something that I need to work on or even share with them about um, things that maybe I need that maybe I haven't addressed yet? Um, so I would say I would say that and I don't know if it makes me a better partner, but some a more, more of an aware partner. That's that's awesome. Not a lot of people would do that. Um, we did an episode on not being seen in a relationship like going mm -hmm. for years and years and years in a relationship and um, the person just gets seen mostly as like a mom or just a regular female, but they never get seen like as a human being with feelings or whatever. You know, sometimes when it's like um, you get seen just as a mom, then mm -hmm. the, the gentleman would just treat her like, oh, this is this is what you do you're a mom mm -hmm. these are your roles these are the stuff and then she she lacks the ability to for her self-care to do her hair and her makeup and go out and do all that so we did a segment on that just because we had a lot of people that were um um discussing that and they wanted us to discuss it on the show so that was one of the biggest things that uh people had issues with and relationships mm -hmm. were not being noticed by their partner for who they really are, for all the things that they are. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So that's why I asked you like one of those. Um, but I was going to ask you, do you take steps to being a better partner? So obviously you already do do that. Um, do you believe that relationships are viewed differently now than back in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s? Um, yes, I would say um, they are definitely viewed differently. Um, <clears throat> um, what I could say is <clears throat> there's been so much societal shifts around how relationships are viewed and the roles within relationships mm -hmm. um, and what is accepted now versus what was accepted before. Um, uh, for example, just the, uh, the rise of the feminist, feminist movement, sex positivity, um, and even the acknowledgement of the LGBTQ plus community now would never have existed during that time. It would be too much of a taboo and shunned upon that I would I would believe that before there was this notion that 
it was just cisgender heterosexual relationships. Um, Men were the providers, women were stay-at-home bearing the children. Mm -hmm. Um, um, But then I would say that started changing. Um, I would say closer to the 1960s. Um, 1960s, 1970s, when there was more of a of a sexual revolution that was that was uh, a driving force of that shift um, in in terms of relationships. So yes, to, in short, I would say yes. How relationships may that have been viewed before, which people would have gotten married much younger, uh, they would have stayed together. Divorce or a separation was not necessarily a a, a topic or an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, could have there been people who got separated? Yes, but it was so taboo that it was not going to be discussed um, because there was so much um, power in terms of the image that that would place upon the person. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what does that mean for you guys to like separate um, versus now, which is almost like understood. And and as, like, I would say from 1960s all the way up to like 2000s, the divorce rates had increased. I think there was a um, potential shift maybe 2013 to 16 I would have to f- see the research but I think around that time there was a uh, a steady shift of divorce divorce rates stopped increasing they just got mm-hmm. steadied mm-hmm. Um, but up to that point divorce rates had started to increase so I would say yes yeah I think women just got bored <laughs> They're just bored of being at home and cooking and cleaning and they wanted to do uh, a lot of stuff. I just remember a couple of days ago, I was just watching um, Mary Poppins. Do you remember that? Have you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just remember- Is she, the Was wife. she a nanny? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and she like flew with her umbrella? Yes. Okay. Yeah. A spoonful of sugar <laughs> makes the medicine go down. <laughs> yeah. But I was watching it and I was remembering um, the mom who would come in and she had on the woman's rights thing. And I remember her telling the house, um, the housekeepers, I guess it would be the housekeepers back then, um, to hide her little banner. Like she would do the whole song and dance thing with the three of them mm-hmm. and it was all about women's rights and stuff and she was singing it and she was just like okay um I forgot how she said this she's like the sir is coming home so let's hide this <laughs> so I always think back to that whole scenario like when the women's movement was um was starting and I just remember that lady is just so extremely bored and it wasn't until Mary Poppins came in and showed her like you know, go out with your kids. Like that's, that's where your energy, you need some of your energy in there. And so that's what makes me think back to like the relationship aspects of then Mm -hmm. um, versus now and how we have such a decline in, um, you know, to me, I feel like it's, it's, it's high, the divorce rates, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, now I don't, I don't know if you agree with me on that, but I just feel like sometimes there's such a there's such a need for so much change that sometimes we we lose sight of certain things that we actually need. I think, um, and I would have to see, I would have to try to see the statistics, but I, 
what I'm noticing with the up and coming generation is discussing discussions around um, not seeing a value in marriage um, uh, because of the potential out the potential outcomes of a divorce, um, especially when when I'm hearing it from uh, from young men, um, whereby they just <clears throat> they don't see a value in it because they have more to lose being married than if they were unmarried, uh, more from a financial perspective. Okay. Because the, because the systems and places, <clears throat> the legal system still remains where the, the breadwinner or whoever is the one who has the most um, income um, would have to give into alimony or child support. And so if, if we're just speaking about a, a generalization of like a heterosexual couple, a lot of the younger generational males grow coming up um whole concern of like well what's the what is the what is the benefit that they get from being married because if they were to get divorced they lose everything they lose half their things um and and the courts can care less about your love or your time all they care about is the division of assets and so um <clears throat> now is the divorce rate still i would say yes um, and I think that's the hope is for platforms such as counseling could help. Um, but counseling, even if it's relationship counseling, what I tell people is my, my responsibility as their therapist or counselor is not to choose sides is to pick what is best for the relationship. Um, because if I'm forced to choose a side, then I might be pigeonholed to, to say one person's more right than the other. And then I immediately lose trust in the other person. So that's why I hold the position of what is best for the relationship, because there are some relationships where if it goes down the path of domestic violence and there's no turning back from that, then yeah, what's best for the relationship is for both parties to go their separate ways because it's a safety concern. Um, rather than it's about love or, or care or affection. Well, that's good. <sighs> um, yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about what causes, you were kind of into that, what causes relationships to fail? Should a non-toxic relationship that has reached boredom uh, continue to try on? Um, I would say there are several factors for a relationship to fail. Um, <clears throat> one is things that happen prior to relationship building, which is one's upbringing. Um, you might, you as an individual might have been exposed to either unhealthy patterns of understanding what is love, uh, how to maintain a relationship, um, or even previous um, relationships that did not pan well that you as an individual didn't didn't necessarily learn anything from or you carry that baggage on to the next relationship. So I would say before relationship starts, it already it was already gonna fail because those things were not addressed, meaning your perspective of relationships. Um, once you're in a relationship, I think it boils down to communication. Um, meaning how effective are you in communicating with the other person? Some people 
are easily, some people can get easily annoyed and they shut down. Um, others go to the extreme end of yelling, uh, swearing, throwing things. Um, other people just completely just like shut down. And when they shut down, they'll just leave the room, go for a drive, go for a walk. Um, so that, so communication next is intimacy. Um, whether or not you, um, into, I look at intimacy, I break it down to two parts, sex and affection. Um, there's a disconnect between what is the expectation of what one needs within the physical act of sex and the expectation of what um, someone desires when it comes to physical affection. If you're someone who wants to cuddle, hug, kiss, and so forth. Um, a third is finances. If both parties aren't on the same page or at least working towards the same goal around finances and their relationship to money. Are they spending too much of it? Are they saving too much of it? Are they hiding money um, for some reason? Do they not trust the other person with money? Like what is the relationship of money and how it impacts the, um, the, them as a, as a parent? Um, then it's, um, um, this is more nuanced to couples, regardless if they're married or not, about co-parenting, um, differences in terms of like parenting styles, the discipline, um, views on like education, anything in terms of their individual perspectives of how they need to parent their child in the best way capable. Um, then you have nuances of like substance abuse um, to trauma uh, and trauma can vary. Trauma could be uh, from someone you're in a relationship and unfortunately someone gets to an accident and now they are paralyzed. So what, what happens? Do you stay with this person because you committed to them or do you spark, part ways because maybe there's certain needs that you are not getting, uh, that are not getting met? Or if you're a part, if you're a parent that you are trying to conceive a child and you lost a child, unfortunately, and both of you are grieving very differently and maybe one person cannot continue to be in a relationship because seeing that person reminds them of the tr the trauma the trauma that they've experienced. So I would say those would be um, the top ones that tends to create relationships to fail. Um, but I would say the top three tend to be communication, intimacy, slash sex, and finances. Okay. Wow. That part was kind of sad. I just couldn't imagine like having a partner and I just, you know, couldn't fill their needs like that. But um, mm -hmm. do you feel like, because um, this goes back to the non-toxic and boredom, you know, when a relationship like has reached its boredom, like, do you really think that it's best people just try to re-spark the relationship? or just kind of say, eh, it, it reached its peak. I'm gonna go my way. I would say they would need to work on it because um, relate, you can't expect, if you're going to commit yourself to a, uh, a long-term relationship, you can't expect a relationship to be um, on the honeymoon stage or what people consider the honeymoon stage, which is normally like the first few months of you getting to know someone. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you can't expect that stage to last long. 
Like if you get bored and say, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go to the next person. All you're doing is you're trying to, um, you're trying to achieve that excitement period again. And all you're going to end up doing is developing a unhealthy pattern, which is I get this, this, uh, boost in, in dopamine, um, which is like the excitement hormone. And all of a sudden I don't have any more. Okay. On to the next. And so what are you actually, um, what are you actually accomplishing from that? It might make sense if, if you're brand new to relationships and you want to explore your options through dating, then that's fine. Like if you're just like dating different people to see, you know, I want to get to know people. I want to see what my options are. But mm-hmm. if you then choose someone and all of a sudden gets it gets boring, depending on what's the time frame, like I would have to question, like what is boring about the relationship? Is it about that the person does not meet your set standards? Or are you as an individual bored, meaning you are boring and you don't want to address your boringness? And so you might project that boringness onto the other person because you're like, you're not entertaining me uh, because I can't entertain myself. And because you can't entertain yourself, then you're faced with the fact that you're a boring person. And so you blame the other person for not entertaining you. And that's not their responsibility. The responsibility is not to entertain you. Their responsibility is to grow with you and develop a, a, a intimate romantic connection to you. Um, and growth can be slow and steady that doesn't have to be exciting all the time um so i would say no if it's bored if they're feeling bored i would say have a conversation have a transparent conversation with your partner about it um discuss like what's creating the boredom um even if it's like hey we're not if you work together move together and all of a sudden maybe you got too busy into your career and you guys aren't dating anymore, meaning you're not going out anymore or you're not traveling as much because maybe you got busy or caught up with something. That's that's different versus if you're bored with the person, then like, what are you expecting for that person to do? Are you expecting for them to just like all of a sudden be at a 10 all the time? Uh, that's not like everybody's going to go in their ups and downs. That's what makes humans complex. And so, um, so I would say, no, I wouldn't, I would never recommend anyone to just jump ship and go to someone else. You're on some real shit right there, Omar. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, a lot of people just jump ship and they're on to the next one and then the next one. And I was just like, I get tired. I I just, no, I just. Well, I feel like that. I feel like that's part of the, the unfortunate culture of dating nowadays is that people have this idea that the grass is always greener on the other side mm-hmm. and I try to tell them like the fuck you doing just water the grass that you have right now because you're not paying attention to the grass you're letting the shit dry up and then you wonder why your grass doesn't look like everybody else's grass so you're like oh let me just go over here but you're not actually taking time if you took time to water the grass and if it's not growing in the way you need to then okay you can consider like Okay, instead of even jumping ship, you can consider hiring a fucking landscaper. I would be the landscaper. <laughs> like, I can fucking tell you why the grass is dry um, because you don't have a sprinkler system. And so uh, I think it, that's why people need to troubleshoot some of the shit first before 
um, they start thinking, especially with the current dating culture of like going and swiping onto the next person, mm -hmm. which is very just a very superficial thing of like, oh, but this person looks nice. Oh, but this person travels. But you're not actually sustaining um, what I call relational skills. Relational skills is like working through the shit, not just like being like, oh, this is I'm bored. I'm done. Let me go to the next person so I can get excited. And after a while, you, time continues. You're going to get old and you can't continue living that life. You could try, but that's going to be a very lonely fucking life. And as humans, we thrive on social connection. And um, after a while of living that type of lifestyle, how are you going to be when you're like 80 years old? You have no grandkids. You have most of your friends have already passed and gone away. What do you have to hold on to? as your legacy or as part of your life? What memories do you have? All, all the fun times you were at, at Dubai, I'm like, that's great, but who are you sharing that memories with? Yeah. And so then people start realizing, oh, I don't wanna die alone. So I'm like, okay, well, that's what you have to think about, which is not what a lot of people think about now because they're just thinking in the moment. Yeah, and the thing about working in healthcare is you meet a lot of people, um, elderly people, and I've met a lot of couples, like I was taking care of um, like a gentleman and his wife came in and we were just talking because I was helping him do stuff. And she was like, um, we've been together for 50 years. And she was just like, do you know anybody that's ever been together for 50 years? And I was like, no, I, I don't. And I started thinking about it and I was just like, I hope that I actually have somebody that's been in my life for 50 years. And as mm -hmm. much as we worry about, you know, if your partner goes, then you go. I mean, I, to me, I feel like that's love if your partner dies before you and then five minutes later you die too. I feel mm -hmm. like that it is like, you know, a loving situation. Like it was just meant to be like that, but you don't see that very often in, um, you know, relationships at all, you, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have people, I mean, uh, who is it that's just recently divorced, Tom Brady and Giselle? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. they're, they're going through it right now. Yeah, and I was just thinking, like, when they first got together, I was like, oh, it's such a cute couple, like, you know, you figure they will, they'll be together for a long time, because they just, they come from, like, two, you know, football, but they just both seem kind of humble, type of mm. thing you know so you just kind of figure and you always hope that when you see all these celebrities that they'll be together because then it's like tom hanks and his wife you're just like oh finally somebody who's made it that far so this is what some of us look forward to is to see people and 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 to know that this there is this like possibility out there so um, I just have this very, very, very important question to ask you because we did a segment on this a while back and it was the most heated fucking segment we had because there was three of us that was single, one of us that was in a relationship and we had three different opinions. And um, so just how do you define um, in love versus love? What are the, like, yeah, like, what do you think are the differences and the similarities of those? Uh, um, for me, 
and I bring this up to couples, um, especially when I'm dealing with couples who I could see that there's some sense of disconnect mm -hmm. between them. I'll ask them or I'll ask some one of them, are you in love with the person or are you just have love for them? Um, um, for those who are at a stage where they're they're practically done with the relationship, they might, um, out of respect, might say, I have love for them, but I'm not in love with them. So mm -hmm. the way I look at it is, I have love for my mom, but I am no way in love with her. Mm -hmm. um, because being in love with someone is more on the romantic side. It's more about um, um, committing myself to this person who I have had an intimate experience with um, and having love for them is more of just genuine care for them as like a human being. Um, like I have genuine care for my mom um, and I would always love my mom, but I am not in love with her. I'm in love with my girlfriend. I'm in love with my wife because I'm in a committed relationship to them by which I've been intimate with them and um, and I've committed myself to grow with them in our lives, working towards specific goals, whether or not that is working towards the goal of being married, working towards a goal of having kids and working towards a goal of establishing a family and then growing old together. Um, so I would say that would be my um, definition based off of both my personal experience and what I've seen from couples, especially couples who have got to that point where they're considering separation. Okay. So my friend explained it as in love, meaning as if like you have no choice and love, meaning you have a choice. I, that, that was my understanding of it. And I think that's pretty much why there was just such a big argument about it. Like it was a huge debate about um, the differences. And it, she almost kind of made it seem like being in love, you're stupid in love. Like not stupid in love, but you kind of do things that you, won't, you wouldn't normally do if you love that person. Uh, if we're talking about the Beyonce song of like crazy in love, then that there is, I forgot, oh man, there's research. I wish I was better prepared, but there's research to, to, to talk about like the changes in, in chemicals within the brain when, when people, I think it's the, I think it's oxytocin, um, which is the same chemical that, uh, is developed when a woman gives birth, um, is that, that sense of connection, um, do people, if you were to ask me, do people do stupid things while they're in love? Yeah, they make they make stupid decisions. Um, like they might give this person money without actually having some logical sense of like, is this actually gonna be worth uh the investment versus um like if they just started dating someone and you're just like, Oh, I really am in love with this person. And then all of a sudden you're making decisions that's then going to affect your life. Then yeah, that's not a, that's not the best decision for you. Um, so do people make decisions that are not in favor of them when they're in love? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but I look at that as more of like in the beginning, at any given point, I think it's like, and this is a very like extreme example. It's like if you have a child 
And that child, whether or not they're an adult child, a teenage child, if they committed a crime, it's almost like that polar opposite. Do you as a parent report this um, or do you protect them? And so, but then the what's going to influence that is the relationship between that parent and the child. That parent could say, I love my kids so much, I will never put them in harm's way, even if they did harm to someone else. And because I, I want to protect them from that, even protecting them from their own selves. Um, and and people could do the could attribute the same thing. Like if you're in a relationship, I've had I've worked with people so much about infidelity, like cheating. And people have the same thing. Oh, if so and so cheated on me, I would never be with them. I, I've worked with couples where they would tell me, I said that before I met this person. I'm now with this person. I've been with them for years. They cheated on me and my old self would have left. But who I am now, because I'm in love with them, um, I'm choosing to stay here. I'm choosing to work through it. Um, and so, um, <clears throat> so I would say, um, So I would I would I would say I would say having love for someone is a choice. Being in, in love with them um, um, is in well. Let me backtrack. Falling in love with someone is based on the experiences that you have with them. Staying in love with them is a choice. Um, <clears throat> and also having love for someone is also a choice because you can <clears throat> you can have love for someone and then one day you can decide you know what I don't care about this person anymore um, and but I I don't know if your friend was saying about the uh, like choosing to be in love is stupid I just I, I would start questioning like what is their experience of love? Um, uh, have they oh, experienced? I don't think she meant like choosing. I think what she was saying was when you're in love, you tend to do those things that people do when they're in love. But that's only on the basis that you're, that love is being reciprocated. So if someone is doing the most for you, you would do the most for them. But in some situations, because you're in love and you're doing the most, you're the one in love, but the other person's not in love and you're still continuing to do go over and beyond for them. So I think what she's mm. saying is some people become stupid where they continue to keep doing the most, even though there's a possibility that the other person is not in, in love. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say, I would say there's a lot of complexity in that because there's a lot of variables. Like the variable would be, how long have they been together? Um, do they have kids? Um, what are the choices that are being made as far as like, why are you going um, beyond necessary? Um, is there, what is the reason for it? Um, because, well, saying I'm in love with this person may not be enough. It what's like, if say they're constantly cooking them and buying them food, but they have the money and the means to get their own food, why are you still cooking for them? Well, I'm cooking for them because I'm in love with them. But what does that mean? 
Are you cooking them? Are you cooking for them every single day because you feel as though that's your role within this relationship? Is your role to be the nurturer, the provider in terms of food wise? Are you wanting 